I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi everyone, Kristen Tenanta-Walker here and I am with our weekly wonderful co-host for the Women Who Lead series that we're doing, Catherine Greer-Limpo. Catherine, thank you so much for coming back on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. (laughs) Now, I, I loved what you emailed last night about this show and we'll get into why, but um, I'm going to take a sentence from it. The micro change that makes the quantum difference. And um, I want you to go in and explain, you know, to our listeners kind of what you wrote in the email about that so that we can lay a foundation for what we're going to talk about today. Sure, absolutely. Um, So a, a few things happened this week, uh, just in my own career and life, that got me thinking about this very subject. And that is how extra bits of effort or extra bits of influence sometimes can create huge amounts of difference, you know, within a job that we do or within our relationships or the way that we relate to the folks around us. And uh, ironically, when I was waiting uh, to talk to my counselor, <laughs> there was a <laughs> book in the in the waiting room entitled uh, 212 Degrees, The Extra Degree. And this is a book by Parker and Anderson. It has a nice cover, so I picked it up wanting to understand what it was about. And uh, the entire book is filled with illustrations of the difference that a small amount of influence can make. So this is different from the notion of uh, butterfly wings beating and creating, you know, a hurricane elsewhere or influences (laughs) on the stock market. So um, I, I was also thinking about that in the context of this as well, and that was uh, the butterfly effect or the ability to um, predict tsunamis from ripples. And I'm just going to read a paragraph here from an article in front of me. It says, the year was 1961, computers were still in their infancy, and the race to the moon was just beginning. 
Edward Lorenz, an MIT meteorologist, was developing a weather prediction model. Lorenz theorized that a minuscule occurrence, such as a tiny butterfly flapping its wings in the Amazon, could hypothetically set in motion a chain of events that could cause tornadoes to touch down in Texas a few days later. So this article is called uh, the, the Butterfly Effect, Predicting Tsunamis from Ripples by Manju Bansal. Um, but, but the theory is interesting, and that is sometimes very, very small influences can create a huge impact, uh, regardless of uh, the shape that that impact takes. So in flipping through this book, uh, the authors use the illustration of water, and that's where the title of the book comes from. So uh, again, the book is titled 212, The Extra Degree, and that extra degree between 211 and 212 happens to, to be the degree that it takes for water to boil. So the point that is made very early in the book is that 211 degrees is hot water and 212 degrees is boiling water. And mm. that boiling water generates steam. Steam can power engines and can be a massive force of energy. And the entire book is filled with these illustrations of what it takes to win or in certain sports or you know, the amount of time that elapse between a winner and a loser in um, in a horse race. And in many, many instances over and over again, it's a microsecond or it's a micro effort that made mm -hmm. all of the difference between a champion or not. So I'd like to throw that topic on the table if you don't mind. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> it's a big one. Absolutely, um, it's it is. It's a big one, but it's it's definitely. Uh, it made me think. You know, you wrote. I don't know what time I got it. It was late last night, twelve hours ago. So <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. I, I was and thinking I was, last night for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I know when we actually have time to like think, right? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, and I was laying in bed and I was thinking about it, and I was like, "Huh, that is so fascinating." And you also had said, "I hope you had a great week." I was sending peace your way at various times because I felt you needed it, and I did. It, and it wasn't—I was trying to think why. It wasn't that I was having a. I've certainly had more stressful weeks. It was actually very peaceful considering a lot of the weeks I've had in my life, but. Um, my life right now is externally very peaceful, which is mm -hmm. wonderful. And a conversation I had with my therapist, see, women who lead, a lot of us, we go to therapy, okay? That's, that's right, we do. <laughs> so I was with my therapist, and uh, I, I, I was saying to her, you know, I grew up, she was saying to me, you know, boy, you are really conflict avoidant. And, uh, and I said, well, I am now, I do have to deal with it. And she's still trying to figure me out too. But I said, I, I do 
have to deal with with conflict. I've had to deal with conflict. Any woman who leads has to deal with conflict. Do mm-hmm. I like to? Like I, I said, the difference with me is I'm not someone who enjoys it. Or, you know, it's not, I grew up in absolute, utter chaos. And then I mm-hmm. married into chaos. And I became the an Olympiad at managing <laughs> chaos. And I don't wish to be that anymore. You know, I just don't want that in my life anymore. So now my life is very monastic. The outside world is not chaotic at all. The only chaos that can go on is with me internally, which I used the outside chaos that was going on in order to avoid dealing with the inside chaos. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. So this week it was... Oh, I wasn't at an chaos going on, but there were a lot of things internally going on. Shifts, shifts with people, shifts in my behavior, exactly what you just talked about, micro changes in the way I did things that caused a significant effect on the people that I mm-hmm. am around with. And, um, and, uh, and so, yeah, there was a lot of work going on. It just, you know, from the outside looked like, Shalomana, but on the inside, there's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> well, yeah, and sometimes, you know, the more plates we have spinning, the more difficult it is to really step back and see the issue. And that, that sounds mm-hmm. like an extremely trite thing to say, but, you know, sure, and though. even as rehearsed as, you know, we may be in counseling or self-help books or you know, regardless of how smart we think we are, um, you know, we forget that. And, uh, you know, thank God for the moments where, you know, we do get that sort of lightning bolt of clarity that says, hang on, I'm in the midst of chaos. And the best thing that I can do right now is get quiet so that I can see it because I'm so caught up in it right now that I can't see it, you know? Um, Yeah. And, and I, to say, uh, if if you had a lot of chaos and you became a good chaos manager and you have a choice to say, I don't want my awakenings and my the ways in which I evolve to be born of chaos anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want them to come from peaceful places. And that was a decision. Yeah that I made, a micro decision I made that started having a ripple effect in my life to where now, yes, things happen, but they are not an apocalypse. They're just a little thing. And I go, I need to tweak that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's a great realization. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, you were saying um, something. Oh, no, no. Um, and I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, so I apologize. No, um, no, no. I interrupted you, I think. So, well, <laughs> sorry. I, I was just I was just going to say, you know, I was actually excited about what you were saying and I was going to say something along those lines. There are a couple support groups uh, on Facebook that I participate in. And I think that the the communities on Facebook are, are tremendous. So whether it's, you know, um, uh, an interest in backyard barbecuing or, you know, a group that has been formed to find household goods and jobs for, you know, Syrian refugees in Germany or a, a group that exists to 
support survivors of narcissistic relationships. When Facebook is used as a tool for extreme good in that way, mm-hmm. the number of people that it reaches and the impact that it has is, is amazing to me. But within this, um, you know, one of the support groups that I participate in, um, there was a gal that was really struggling. She had just left a narcissistic relationship and was looking for words of encouragement. Unfortunately, on that page, there are many for her. And um, I'm very, very thankful for all of the voices on that page. Um, But what was clear to me uh, immediately was uh, the need to get quiet. You know, so similar to, you know, chaos that, you know, you're describing that, you know, instantly we we make a decision as to how we're going to manage it. We can't really do that until we recognize that we're in the midst of it. And the small uh, change that I encouraged in the comment that I left was to um, find a way to be safe and peaceful. Mm. And it, it sound, sounds like such a ridiculous thing to say when you're in the midst of trying to leave a narcissist, you know, their oh, claws are yeah. big and so are their teeth and, um, you know, all this, all this other stuff that we know. So getting peaceful is, you know, probably the last thing that would be on your conscious list of priorities, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, but it's, but it's the most important, you know, it's truly the most important. Um, Go ahead. What I was thinking about that was, yes, it's really hard to hear that when you're coming out of those relationships. And I've done some shows where I've talked about fleas and ticks. And those are um, things that you can pick up from the narcissistic person that you're with, uh, especially if you're highly empathic because you are trying to save your soul and you're grasping at straws and you get into their psyche. You know what they're going to do, what they're going to say, how they're examining you. I mean, you just, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. And the flea and the flea and tick part of it for me, I've found, is when I am coming to the end of of that kind of a relationship, which I don't have any anymore. Um, but when I have come to the end of those relationships, I'm so paranoid, and I'm so I know every possible move that they could be making, thinking what have you, and that causes me chaos in, internally mm-hmm. and externally and mm-hmm. time that's this is why no contact is so important time is what helps me rid myself of those fleas and ticks so that I can then get back to my thinking which is not those you know it isn't those things and I mm-hmm. see that even in relationships that are not with narcissistic people but there are relationships in my life that they served their purpose and they're coming to an end and sometimes they're um, uncomfortable at the end, but certainly nothing like leaving a relationship with a narcissist. They're just a relationship that's coming to an end. It's someone maybe I don't really want to invest a lot of time with anymore because they were really draining, um, you know, whatever it may be. And I still, um, get into their psyche and feel their feelings and those things mm-hmm. linger. And mm-hmm. when you're when you're talking about, you know, micro changes that make the quantum difference and also um having peace, 
my home now is is my sanctuary and when everywhere mm-hmm. i lived up until this space and w- one house before this was chaos from early childhood home was not the safe place to be safe places were outside of the home now my home is this sanctuary and so this is where i find my peace and so it it was really nice with some of these relationships to readjust make micro changes pull out of them um, and put boundaries around what I will and will not allow in very small ways because my peace is so profoundly important to me mm-hmm. that I actually now become angry when there anything happens to threaten it. <laughs> yeah. that is, and that's a wonderful thing because I used to just give the farm away to anybody and now mm-hmm. I'm like, Nope, no, uh-uh. There's a there's a line, and it starts at my door, my beautiful purple door. And if, if mm-hmm. I carry anything with me past that purple door into my house, I don't like that. Uh, I have the biggest smile on my face right now. I just love the illustration of a literal safe place. You know, a place that's safe of of the chaos of our environment and safe of uh, influences that, you know, led to where we ended up as adults. Um, and once we've resolved and, you know, really clearly identified what those things are, the ability to have a, a sanctuary and understand where those boundaries lie, I think is just so powerful. And then the purple door illustration is great too. <laughs> you can shut the purple door and you're safe. I mean, it really that's is great. purple. <laughs> I love it. And that's my favorite color. The moment I found this house, which is just, it's, I don't, whatever religion you are, spiritual belief, it was a universe thing, a God thing, a Buddha thing, whatever, it doesn't matter. It was one of those things where I walked up and I saw the front door and I was like, this is my home. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. But you know, so in in thinking about um, you know micro change that makes the quantum difference, actually, you nicely introduced sort of what I was thinking of the first part of this discussion, and that is, you know, what what happens in retrospect where we have exerted that extra burst of effort or Mm. um, employed that extra bit of belief that made all of the difference in in the outcome. So you were talking about um you know what I would call an epiphany. I try not to overuse that word, but you know maybe maybe I just go around in my life more bewildered than others where I have these constant realizations that oh my gosh. Oh my why didn't I see it that way before? Oh my goodness, there it happened again, you know. Um maybe maybe I'm like through going through this evolving naivete, you know, or whatever. But you know, you you described a, a time where you just decided you were going to change the way you perceive something, or the way that it affected you, or mm-hmm. um, the way that you allowed it to impact your life. And I think that if we're um, thoughtful for a moment, we can think of multiple examples uh, in retrospect of where that extra effort or just clinging to that belief that something would work really um, pushed us over the edge and made all of the difference in the outcome. So, you know, what, what else, what else is there um, 
that we can think of in our past? Well, I think too, it's um, a lot of us go into this and especially women go into things thinking that you do have to have a million plates spinning. Otherwise you're not being productive, uh, that you have to, productive means busy. And mm -hmm. that is not what productive means. And so I like this idea of, you know, what's the change that the micro change that makes the quantum difference because we're, we're running around to me, it feels like in the quantum, mm -hmm. but we're forgetting about the micro. Mm -hmm. And when you're a leader, you know, it's, it's small, it's small movements that make those big changes. The quantum can be good and it can also be not good. <laughs> mm -hmm. True. So if you, <laughs> if you come to it from a peaceful and, you know, centered and well thought out um, perspective where, you know, your, your emotional bucket is full and overflowing, then you could make a tiny little tweak and have this amazing outcome instead of living in the quantum of chaos and mm -hmm. having that be some sort of excuse to see how busy I am, see how hard I work, look at all the stuff I do, I'm making all these things happen. Da -da 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 -da. We get in that <laughs> and we don't and, and if somebody said you need to meditate, we'd be like Okay, <laughs> you do your yoga and meditation. I don't have time. I don't have time. <laughs> exactly. Because I'm in the quantum and you're like, Well what quantum are you in? The chaos or a quantum of peace that's actually making a difference. So it's you know it's boiled down it boils down to you know work harder or work smarter not harder and for many years I believed that well there's a reason why I love border collies because these that that's my dog I will never have a different kind of dog they're type A they just work as play for them they just doggedly go 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 and um, you have to make them rest. Mm -hmm. Or they will mm -hmm. go until they literally, I, I, I've raised them forever. If you don't tell them to stop, they will die. <laughs> and huh. that's what we as women do to ourselves often. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that we also um, look for opportunities to absorb it from other people. Um, and when we start collecting that chaos, you know, yeah. as you mentioned, sometimes it's very difficult for us to to stop and, and see it for what it is, which is probably not as bad as we thought it was. So I have <laughs> um I have a little bit of a, a a story if you don't mind. So yeah, this absolutely. is from uh, this is from long, long ago. <laughs> Back in the ancient days, my first year with Ford Motor Company. So <laughs> I had um I had started in the human resources function and I was so honored to to be there and very, very eager to listen to my superiors and to please. I, I was there with big eyes and um, in a lot of ways, just, just happy to be able to show up. And we were administering uh, retirement packages as part of a headcount reduction. And there was one gentleman at the organization that I supported where uh, there was a question as to whether 
he would be extended this retirement package or whether he would be dismissed because he had generated this list of you know, egregious actions through the course of his employment, which made him a candidate for one or the other in a lot of ways. Um, and so my boss at the time had told me to hold off on offering this retirement package until we got an answer back from personnel relations as to whether we could dismiss this gentleman or not. And that sounded reasonable to me due to being wet behind the ears and <laughs> having right. a gross lack of experience. Um, <laughs> and I didn't really know how important it was to administer this retirement offer in a timely way. So the woman who was responsible for coordinating this program had not received a response from me by you know, four o'clock that Friday or whatever the deadline was. And so she called and she was known uh, as a very, very tough woman. And um, when I answered the phone uh, and she was on the other end of the line, immediately I thought I was in trouble and realized pretty quickly that I was <laughs> because I hadn't administered this retirement offer. And um, her words were very stern um, in that I needed to get everybody back into the office at four o'clock on a Friday and administer this offer. And if I didn't, there would be extreme consequences. And so uh, I hung up the phone and I was in a cold sweat calling mm -hmm. my manager and calling the manager of this gentleman trying to get everybody back in the building because I was sure that I was going to be beheaded. <laughs> and um, about 15 minutes later, my phone rang again, and it was this woman's boss. And he said, uh, Catherine, you're not going to be able to get everybody back in the building this afternoon. And him saying that out loud was extremely powerful because I knew that mm. the effort was futile and I was sitting there uh, prepared to kill myself <laughs> in order to do whatever it took to, <laughs> to get to folks it back in the building. Yes. Right. And he, he just called and confirmed that it was impossible. And he said, take a deep breath. I had not even met this man, but his voice mm. was so calming um, that I did. I stopped and I took a breath. And he said, Catherine, I'm going to ask you two questions. And I said, okay. And he said, did anybody die? And I said, hmm. no, no, nobody died. And he goes, are we still making trucks? And I said, yes, we're still making trucks. And he goes, okay, then it's not an emergency. <laughs> <laughs> It was that quiet, calm perspective yes. of those two very simple questions that made all of the difference between my out-of-control spinning and how I perceive myself in you know, being a little player on the team at Ford Motor Company and then instantly understanding that, okay, I made a mistake, but it was going to be okay. And we were going to figure out what to do next. <laughs> right. And thank goodness for those kinds of, I mean, I was just thinking as you were telling that, I was thinking, you know, those, those people that are leaders, a leader is who called you because mm -hmm. of the perspective. Yeah. You know, that's what 
being a, a leader really is having the perspective to calmly you know answer questions and it's interesting is this week I had somebody that does often call me for advice and there's there tends to be some chaos and drama attached to it and that's their stuff and we're a mental health company so um <laughs> actually Joe Joe Fusaro our editor and Joe you can't edit this out said to me you know Kristen we're going to ju we just have to accept I think that um we're going to have this kind of stuff happen with people because we're in the mental health field. There are going to be people with triggers and trauma, and that's just the way that it is. And mm -hmm. so just just know that going forward. And I thought, I knew that already, but I the way that he said it, Joe is very like zen about a lot of things. He'll probably laugh that he just heard me say that, but he is, for <laughs> me, he is anyway. And I thought, you're right, that is, that is this company, my company. Um, we are mental health. There are people that come in and get, that we work with that get triggered, that have had pretty severe trauma, and we have to make an extra effort to be understanding about that, mm -hmm. whereas in a different kind of a company, that understanding isn't there, which is part of the problem <laughs> with right. other companies, you know. So it, it it was cool. And and the other thing that I thought about this week was someone coming for me for advice. A lot of people do. How would you handle this situation? Tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. And I what was going on this week for me was a lot of me going, Okay, listen, I need to put a I didn't say I need to put a boundary here, but I told myself, you need to put up a boundary here because mm -hmm. It is not helpful for me to tell someone what to do anymore. It, it just isn't in, in this context um, with what they were asking. And the reason is because they need to develop those muscles themselves. Mm -hmm. And if they keep coming to me and saying, Kristen, exactly what would you type? Kristen, exactly what would you say? I'm not helping them. In the beginning, a few times when I did that, I probably helped them because it gave them a good example. But if they continue to come to me and continue to ask me for that, they're being emotionally lazy and they're not, you know, they, I, I'm expecting, I've already told you this same thing in a couple different ways in a couple different situations. I did that in order for you to register how to do this in the future. I didn't do it so that you would continue to just take you know absolve yourself of any responsibility for taking any kind of action and using your own thinking and put mm -hmm. that on me so mm -hmm. it was interesting this week to say i'm not going to tell you what to do you know what to do you can't and not to do it in an angry way just be a leader you have the tools to figure this out i trust that you will be calm and rational and figure this out and I'm I'm not going to type out exactly what you should do, and mm -hmm. say no. Mhm. Mm yeah, and maybe it's that you know just extra bit of boundary creating that you know is the inflection point that creates uh, in them the the strength or the creativity or the fortitude to dip into whatever they need in order to push it over the line and do it themselves. You know, I think that yeah. there's a, you know, there's a scale there that says, 
you know, you, you do it for me. And then the other end of the scale says, you, you taught me how to do it and I'm doing it myself. And, you know, I think we get backed into a corner sometimes as, as leaders um, Mm -hmm. by folks, by folks who don't know what to do, you know, and it's up to us to create an interpretation other than the checklist. And I think that the checklist is extremely helpful sometimes because it does, you know, make sure that all of the T's are crossed and the the I's are dotted. Um, But in certain applications, we need the creativity that takes us the step beyond the checklist, you know, and that I I think is difficult for some folks. There's security in the checklist where if Mm -hmm. I'm completing it, uh, I'm meeting the requirements. I'm doing exactly what you told me to do. Um, but thank God for, you know, the thinker who can look at the checklist as as a framework um, that creates license to, you know, kind of uh, construct the above and beyond, you know. Right. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Right. It's Exactly. Check, checklists are, are great. They're wonderful to have. They're extremely helpful. And a leader uses that as a guide. It's not their Bible. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if I followed a checklist for every single thing, I mean, it's like when somebody would ask me all the time, they wanted to watch me fixing something on a computer, some software application that was going haywire that programmers couldn't figure out why it wasn't working and, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And I would go in and I would sit down and I would mess around and they wanted to hover, oh, a group of them wanted to hover over me and I can't work like that. So as I turned around, I was a consultant, so I wasn't really their leader, but I, I would have to turn around and say, I literally am not going to be able to figure this out if y'all are standing there watching me. Just please let me do what I do, and um, and then I will tell you what I think it was that made it work, but I, I can't do it when you're peppering me with questions. I need that freedom to just get into what's going on with this application and figure it out. Like I feel very close to technology. I feel very in tune with it. Like I do with my horse, like I do with dogs. There's this thing with me and software applications that I just get into a place and I, and I get it. But Mm -hmm. do you, can you have 12 people standing and peppering you with questions as you're trying to train a dog or a horse? Some people can. That's not me. (laughs) You also have to know. 
<laughs> what works for you and where you're going to be yeah. your creative or your leadership best, you know? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I um, currently work for a very inspirational leader who's extremely good at constructing a, a vision. And he's a great administrator in the sense that he can describe how he wants that vision laid out. And the small difference that really creates the, the definition in our organization between success or lack thereof is the ability to create something tangible out of that um, administrative vision. Mm. And in my own experience, working with him for probably the first year was a bit of a struggle, and I have empathy for him as well. I'm sure it was quite difficult to, you know, come back to me over and over again and still not be getting what he was looking for. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, I did have an aha moment, you know, another one of those, you know, self-proclaimed epiphanies where all of a sudden what he was saying made complete and utter sense. And I'm not <laughs> saying that I can get there with everything um, that he says to me because, um, you know, he is very very visionary. And sometimes it does take a couple conversations to really, at least for me, understand the meaning. But I appreciated that moment because all of the sudden um, I could once again see my own validity in the situation because without that, you know, uh, pushing over the edge that allowed me to uh, engage in some level of understanding that I could hold on to, there was no way that I could be effective in that situation, you know. So in a way, my own understanding was was my ability to to quiet the noise, you know. And I think about your um, your illustration of trying to you know even lunge a horse on a lunge line with you know twelve people asking you questions. That's a skilled person, you know, mm -hmm. because yep, that's you're Monty in William. No, yeah, it, it's somebody, right? It's it's somebody. <laughs> Um, because the connection at that time is between you and the horse and the communication yes. is between you and the horse. And to be able to filter out questions that are being asked and to address those, even while, while there's this you know, very concentrated and fine-tuned stream of communication going on, wow, that, that's a skill, you know, that, that's multitasking at its best. <laughs> It is, and a horse expects you, like more than any other animal that I have worked with, but I have always felt drawn to them and to dogs, a horse expects you to be fully present. So mm -hmm. I've watched Monty Williams, so for listeners that don't know who he is, he's the man that they call the horse whisperer, and you can mm -hmm. Google him, and you can watch how he works with horses, and he will actually go into an arena, and he will have hundreds if not thousands of people in a, in the stadium seating and he's in the middle of the arena with a horse that has issues or whatever he's trying to show and he literally will tell people I'm sorry we have to stop there's a baby crying and I won't be able not he's not saying babies can't cry he's just saying I can't show you all what needs to happen because the horse is going to be distracted by the baby crying or these people talking or what have you. And he's never mean, you know, I, it was so interesting to watch 
some of his things on YouTube and I'm thinking, I turned them on to see how did they work with a horse and I learned so much about managing people by watching it because he just, this is what I need in order to do what I do. And yet there are other people who are in positions where they have to answer a lot of questions and be multitasking and that's what it's like working with a dog. You can have a billion people asking you questions and your dog, a dog does not require 100% of your focus. It's, they're very different animals. So um, when I did a lot of therapy dog work with my dog with special needs kids, with adults in severe mental health problems, I was peppered at with a bazillion questions. Somebody doing this, someone behaving erratic over here, but da da da, da I've got to protect my dog, but also be... Um, you know, having him work with these people, blah, blah, blah. It was a very different skill set. Both equally important, challenged, different muscles. Both helped me be a leader of uh, my own company. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does make sense. Um, and um, I, I'd never thought about the the dog thing in that way. Um, and and that's why dogs are such great service animals and mm -hmm. and companions because they can because, handle all kinds of noise, yeah, and all kinds of exactly. stuff. And yeah, that's amazing. They have the ability to filter out their own chaos. That, that's just mm -hmm. um, that's incredible. Hmm. Yeah, and and horses do not. They yep. they they don't. They're but they're prey animals. So they are always mm -hmm. hyper vigilant about every little thing. And it's just you know, and dogs are are um, are you know the predators. So mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a different mm -hmm. mindset. And if you look at yourself as when you're when you're being prey, we're actually considered predators as human beings. Our eyes are in the front and we look ahead. They're not on the sides of our heads, so we're considered predators. Mm -hmm. But we but we can also be prey, especially in narcissistic relationships. <laughs> yeah. And as a leader, you have to be that extra um, piece where you understand both concepts with your team. Mm -hmm. Who on my team is operating a lot out of prey mode for whatever reason, and who operates out of predator mode, and how do I keep a balance here so that it remains a cohesive team. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, when thinking about and doing a bit of research on this topic, um, I transitioned also in, in my own thinking from, you know, the, the retrospect to the now and how we do teach and mentor uh, to focus on the the small changes that could potentially make huge differences, and it doesn't mm. have to be as literal as that description. You know, like with the illustration right. of the horse, the description is being present, right? Right. Or or with you know some of our folks, sometimes the small difference is just a word of encouragement. You know, how many times right. have you been in a situation where? You know, you thought something was going horribly because of something that you did, and you received a word of encouragement that suddenly changed your entire perspective on your influence oh, in that situation. You know, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. 
So in thinking about folks that we work with or employees that we may work with every day, you know, how do we teach them to identify when that extra surge of effort is actually worth it? Or how do we encourage perseverance, um, but with the balance that's required of us being in leadership positions? Good question. I'm still learning that one. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have the wise answer. (laughs) Give um, an example of how you've done that, and then I'll try to think of one on my own. (laughs) Well, this is is an active one for me, um, and I I wouldn't say this is fine-tuned in any way, shape, or form. Um, If I... Think about you know things that have happened in the past and lessons that I've learned. It has helped me to kind of read the landscape and look for signs that maybe that extra effort is worth it. You know, is it worth that extra discussion? Is it worth addressing that extra point in the negotiation? You know, what's the what's the cost versus benefit um, in some of these sort of situations? But I, I think the key is you know, at least on this topic, teaching our people to understand, you know, when that extra push or sharing that extra bit of detail might make the difference in a decision or in a scenario that they're presenting. You know, there's, um, I'm, I'm talking about my current job today a little bit. This is interesting for me. There's a, a gentleman that I work with who is Um, extremely smart and has the ability to uh, read things very, very quickly and apply the data that he gleans to instantaneous decisions. And so in um, my relationship with him, one of the things that I've noted that's important is kind of what we've been talking about as a recurrent theme over the course of our time this morning, and that is stopping for a beat and taking the opportunity to get quiet and seeing what comes out of that. Um, Because quite often, as you and I know, the observation that comes out of that quietness is the quantum difference. Hmm. Yes. So sometimes we may think that we, you know, know the approach or we may uh, award someone going after an end aggressively when the when the end does seem obvious or where we think we already know the punchline. Um, but quite often, uh, even when the outcome seems obvious, being able to, to step back and take a moment to um, make sure that we've evaluated all of the data and that we've had all of the discussions that we need is the inflection point that makes the difference. And I'm sure that you have an example. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I I tend to think I'm too verbose and uh, in writing and verbally. Um, Thank goodness I have a lot of opportunity to talk because apparently that's something I need to do a lot of in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're gifted at it. (laughs) It's only from lots of practice. What we practice, we get good at, you know. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Regardless of what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think 
being a highly empathic person and getting to a place of the empowerment around that where you really for me being this way is like um sometimes it feels like you're in a lighthouse and you you can't even see land the the little island that you're on of rocks uh there's there's the lighthouse and the sea is and the storm that's coming at you all around you you can't even see the land that you're sitting on anymore and at any moment it looks like that lighthouse is just going to be completely washed away and so you the highly highly empathic person or what melanie and i call an empath uh, melanie van our program director you're the lighthouse okay and the sea or or emotions, your emotions and everybody else's in your life. Wow, 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 wow. And um, I go back to the movie Fantasia with, with little Mickey Mouse. Um, you know, everything gets chaotic. The wizard walks in and just goes, shoop, and the seas are calm again. And I think about that with that lighthouse. When you become empowered as a highly empathic person, you are in the middle of that storm many, many times, but you're not afraid that you're going to be wiped out. Um, you are controlling the ocean around you, uh, the sea, a rough sea around you, no matter how bad it looks, your light is still on. And um, where that comes from is a profound respect an understanding of yourself and your own emotions and also being able to say a lot of this stuff that's coming out me doesn't belong to me so I don't need to embody it I think that's where we get in trouble we get because all of a sudden we're feeling all these feelings half of them aren't even ours but we think mm -hmm. they are so we react out of those feelings that aren't even ours and that causes chaos in our lives so to be able to be profoundly centered and profoundly present and to really feel your self-worth, I've been through hell, I can do this, and not even just have to tell yourself that, you just know it. And so you aren't afraid anymore of those storms. You aren't... Mm -hmm. You know, I think I spent my life in a whole lot of fear because they scared me. And now when I see that stuff coming with all the people that I deal with, I'm like, I'm not afraid because I know that I'm my light's going to stay on and I can handle these rough seas. And um, and I know that I can say whatever isn't mine, you know, get out of me, get out of my psyche. You don't you don't cross the threshold past the purple door or whatever it is. And that mm -hmm. helps me be a more effective leader uh, because myself is first in right. these days right yeah and the change was recognizing that fear and deciding to um you know as glennon doyle would say run at it instead of away from it right there's a there's actually a quote from um the the book 112 the extra degree um that i was looking at while you were talking and that is uh, a quote from General Patton that says that courage is fear holding on for a minute longer. <laughs> so true. I love that. 
it is, you know, and you, um, even in the story that you just told Kristen and, you know, thinking about, you know, both of our histories, some of which are, uh, you know, uh, some parts of which are a bit similar. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think about, uh, the, the strength that was generated in moving through those situations. And in a lot of cases, um, the decisions that we made came about because we were afraid and we finally mm-hmm. decided that, that we just couldn't be afraid, uh, anymore. And that, single decision point is what made all the difference. Exactly. The micro change. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Talk about where you, you think about, you know, you said, uh, or you wrote that it's humbling when you think of how quickly you give up sometimes. And what about that extra birth burst of effort or belief? that makes the difference mm-hmm. between everything and nothing. So what, what explain what you were thinking of when you wrote that? Um, <laughs> uh, there were, there were actually three things um, that happened this week. So um, the first thing that I was thinking about was um, actually in my own personal life. So I'm, uh, a single mom. Um, my son is spending summers in South Carolina with his dad. And I think that in any you know marriage that is no longer kind of situation, regardless of how good or, or bad it was, you know, sometimes we, we stop and start <laughs> use the use the whip to start beating ourselves up to a degree. So I was thinking mm-hmm. about you know, just within the context of that relationship specifically, you know, did I give up too soon? You know, mm. um, and and I know uh, in my peaceful heart, you know, the the non-criticizing voice in, in my head, I, I didn't give up too soon. I think that there's also a point where you decide that you've done everything that you can do. Um, and that's a very important decision point as well. You have to know when you've done everything that you can do, because the bottom line is you cannot do any more than all you can do. And, and, you know, that, that's the most decision, the most important decision point at that particular point in time. But, um, you know, you always, you always wonder, did I not do enough? What would have been that extra bit of effort? Um, And then I started thinking about running again and how, um, when I decided that I was going to run my first half marathon, um, it was that solitary decision that really made all the difference for me in what I would do in years to come in relation to distance running. You know, would I, mm. would I only run three miles on a Saturday, even though I'd run eight because I was tired or my legs weren't doing what I thought they were going to do. No, you know, I, I made some crazy decision at some point in time to throw a half marathon out there in front of myself. And I've been chasing it ever since. And I just love um, the notion that it was that small decision that, you know, really created a, a lifetime worth of pattern for me. And then finally, um, you know, at work, sometimes you have very, very small realizations 
either about a situation or a decision or an employee that change your perspective completely. And oh, absolutely. Um, you know, sleeping on it can make a really big difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. No, it's it's true, you know, or or something is said and you have that complete and absolutely thorough aha moment that says, oh my gosh, I have been looking at this incorrectly all along. Mm-hmm. And you have a choice at that point in time. You can either feel extremely stupid and spend several days uh, beating yourself up about it and not being able to sleep right. and going over conversations where you wish you'd said this instead of that. Or you can stop and you can say, okay, I have to figure out what to do now because now I know. <laughs> Yeah. So happened on three fronts this week. It was just incredible. So, you know, even more significant finding this book on another quote from another page says many of life's failures are men. I'm going to insert women in there. So uh, many of life's failures are women who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Mm. So Beautiful. absolutely true absolutely true well that was Thomas wanna, Edison by the way <laughs> <laughs> I want to I, I just had a, a full circle moment and I know we're coming to a close but um, what I started this week and uh, this shows you women listeners who are, are tuning in and men who you know want to know about female leadership and, uh, and the differences between um, you know, you get very connected with different people in your life for whatever reason you and I are. And so you felt Mm -hmm. something this week with me and I was too in myself to feel anything about anybody other than myself. (laughs) That happened. That's okay. Yeah. Usually I really do. (laughs) (laughs) But the big difference this week is I am doing my, um, my twice a year purification program. I'd call it a cleanse because then people know what that means, but it's not technically called a cleanse and it's uh, it's 21 days mm. and it's extremely healthy and it's how you should eat all the time. <laughs> um, hmm. But I do it twice a year to reboot my, my system and, um, and it's, it's not starvation. It's not anything like that. It's, I won't go into the details of what it is, but it's by, if anybody wants to know, you can Google standard process purification program. And, uh, and it's, it just is a reboot of yourself internally and your health. And mm-hmm. I started it this week and I've done this for eight years and every one that I do is different. But this particular time that I am doing it, I don't have any set times. I just sort of feel like, okay, now I think I could do a cleanse. Um, mm-hmm. I don't say every January, blah, blah, blah. But this time that I'm doing it, and I started it last Monday, feels like the very first one that I did. And the reason why that's significant for me is the very first one that I did, I have struggled with binge eating. I've had an eating disorder since I was about seven. Mm-hmm. And um, 
food absolutely had power over my life, like alcohol for somebody else, like something for somebody else. Food, food for me. It's, it was my refuge, my solace from all the horrible stuff going on, whatever. And of course, that carried into adulthood. And um, doing that very first cleanse, I did it like I did not sway from that program. And it's not easy, okay? It is not an easy program to do. Mm-hmm. And I did mm-hmm. it the full 21 days. And what it taught me was you absolutely have power over food. You mm-hmm. just proved that you do. So you can never again say that you can never have power over food. And for anyone listening that's had any any kind of an eating disorder, you know exactly what I'm saying. So this particular time that I'm doing it, I think the reason why it reminds me so much of that first time is because I'm accepting a lot of radical self-care uh, micro changes in my life and this time that I'm doing it I'm doing it exactly following the book no cheats well actually I had tofu last night that's a little bit of a cheat but oh, hello <laughs> it wasn't pizza um yeah so I but I and and there are people that look at me that are athletes major athletes and read what I do and they're like I could never do that and I'm like, you run marathons. What are you talking about? You couldn't do this for 21 days. I just couldn't do it, Kristen. I couldn't do it. That's, I, that's, I, I couldn't do it. Not out of that it's unhealthy, just out of, I could not eat like that and do what you, I mean, that, wow, that takes discipline. And so mm-hmm. I think every time we do those things that are challenging for us, for you running, for me, this is one of those things you know, this purification thing, because every time I do it, it helps me. It helps remind me that I have power over something that had power over me. And that has a ripple effect, a butterfly effect on every other area of my life. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that. It's, um, you know, that um, micro realization, you know, Um, it's that little bit of faith in our own ability that catches us by surprise. You know, we didn't know that we could do it. That we could do that. that, Yeah. And the realization that we can is such an injection of power, um, and faith and faith in ourselves, you know? Um, yes. Faith in yourself. Absolutely. Wow, that's so important, especially when you're a leader. My favorite quote in the whole world is this. It's by Julie Andrews. Some people regard discipline as a chore. For me, it is a kind of order that sets me free to fly. (laughs) And I I used to think, oh, you're so, because I was always told you're lazy, you're undisciplined, you're what have you. Well, okay, so I, yeah, I don't run. I don't. You know, I'm not disciplined in those areas, but I am disciplined in the areas that that are big things for me. And mm-hmm. so this is this is another one of those reminders for me. And that's what I was feeling this week 
with just a profound sense of empowerment and like, oh, I'm really in the zone. I'm in the zone with this thing. I can feel it when I'm in the zone. Some cleanses I've done, I'm like, I'm not really in the zone. I'm going to do it anyway, but I know I'm going to cheat. And this one, I'm like, nope. I smelled a bunch of chicken in the market and I walked right on by and I wouldn't have been able to do that two weeks ago, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's good. It, it's recognizing the the power and the discipline, you know, that's what yoga is a hundred percent about is, you know, finding freedom within the, within the context of that discipline, you know, it's, yeah. um, and I, I think the, the freedom takes the form of that joy knowing that, uh, you know how to exercise the discipline, you know how to live within it and um, really maximize the benefit that the discipline is providing. I think that's so cool. Yep. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing with this show is just, I don't think either of us are saying, hey, everyone be like us. We're just two women on a journey that are in leadership positions and we are explaining our experience. Some that you'll that some of you that are listening are going to be like, yeah, I got that one covered, and they're still working on it. And some of you that are, you know, leaders are going to go, oh, I could, you know, really utilize that. Or they're both nuts. Whatever it is you think, that's <laughs> what we're here at the table for is to just talk about the experience, not to come at you and say we're these wise disciples of leadership. <laughs> Sometimes we are. No. No, I'm a mistake maker. It's okay. <laughs> I, 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 I have to extend myself that grace. You know, mistakes are daily, frequent, and educational. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, do you feel like we covered everything we needed to for this one? I do. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to my favorite new series, Women Who Lead, with Katherine Greer Limpo and myself, Kristen Walker. We will tune in next time. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you I can fight it. Good boy.